Most people, sadly not everybody, but most folks, I think, recognise that there are many times in life when we need a bit more wisdom. Sometimes it's in a particular situation. Um, somebody takes on well or dies and, and there's family abroad on holiday and you think, do I tell them, do I not tell them? Um, which of us has raised children but not thought at different times, I wish I knew what to do here, I wish I knew how to sort this. We might look at a whole range of different insurance policies, which one's the best to buy? Other times it's more general about how we would like to handle things differently or better. And because we all recognise um, a need for wisdom, it's a, it's a huge multi-million pound industry out there, you know, there's all sorts of lifestyle coaches, there's all sorts of counsellings and psychiatries, books by the barrel load and so on, bloggers and everything else. Different societies have had their different places to go, people to find out from, philosophers, um, tea leaf, leaf readers or, or whatever. The Old Testament book of Proverbs, part of which Miriam's just been reading, the Old Testament book of Proverbs is about wisdom and for gaining wisdom, verse 2, for gaining wisdom and instruction. That's its purpose. Yet it's not just a series of short, clever sayings. This is not the Old Testament equivalent of a collection of fridge magnets giving bits of advice and, and insight. It comes from a particular time and place. The Proverbs of Solomon, it says, verse 1. There are some other Proverbs later on in the book, but the bulk of them come from him. And he's a king at a particular place and time in Israel's history. The people of Israel had been brought out of slavery in Egypt. They had now been established in the Promised Land. And after all sorts of toing and froing, the kingdom was substantially set there and, and under King David, the father of Solomon. And now Solomon was to build a lifestyle, a way of being for the people of God or at least lead them in that. And at that point where Solomon was beginning his reign, God, God spoke to him and God said to him, look, Solomon, tough job, I know, but look, if there's one thing you could have, what would it be? If I could give you anything at all. And Solomon asked the Lord for wisdom. The Lord was delighted. And we're told in 1 Kings 4 at verse 29, God gave Solomon wisdom and very great insight. And so the wisdom that we find in the book of Proverbs is God-given. It's part of the gifting given Solomon by the Lord, and it is part of God's continuing purposes and direction and guidance for His people. It's His purposes being worked out through the people of Israel, people that God had called to be His agents, His representatives, His witnesses in the world. In verses 2 to 4 of the book, there are lots of references uh, about wisdom. Through that section that Miriam read, what the words for wise or wisdom come up in verses 2 and 5 and 6 and 7. But alongside that are many other terms, instruction, insight, understanding, prudence, knowledge, discretion, learning, guidance, and each of them is slightly different. Each of them suggests a different emphasis on this what is wisdom and how we learn wisdom. And so the wisdom of the book of Proverbs we see is, is wide-ranging. It's for, for life in God's world. It's for all of life. 
That contrasts, incidentally, with how many societies' sins have approached this theme or this subject of wisdom. So, so often we elevate one kind of learning above others. Wisdom isn't always defined just by exam results, nor the kind of school or the particular university that folks went to. And the Eton and Oxbridge game played in UK politics has probably not been for the best. But much wider than that, the wisdom of the book of Proverbs is not going to be pinned down, not going to be narrowly, narrowly defined. It is not the preserve of one part of society. It is not something only to be accessed by the elite. We all live in God's world, and He is Lord of all. And the right route to wisdom is a recognizing of that. And that we, like Solomon, should seek wisdom from the Lord. In his um, outstandingly good book, I think, um, called Knowing God um, by Jim Packer, a book I, I first read when I was um, a student, um, an economics student at, at Edinburgh, so it must have been about, ooh, 1976, I think, I, I read the book first time. Um, still go back to it. It's, it's, it's a hugely, hugely rich book, Knowing God by J.I. Packer. And when he comes to deal with the subject of wisdom, he uses two transport illustrations. Um, I'm going to change the first one, but in the first illustration that, that I'm using, let's imagine somebody up in the airport control tower. Now, such a person needs to have oversight of everything that's happening. He or she needs to know where the planes are, the route that they're coming in, the height that they are, the speed that they're coming at. He or she needs to know what the, the timetable is and, and what's supposed to be happening next. They need that oversight, that seeing it all. Now, Packer rightly says that that's not what Proverbs means by wisdom. God hasn't promised us that kind of thing. Too often, church leaders in particular are guilty of making a mistake of thinking that, that, it, that it is, and that they somehow have had special privilege of being taken up into the God's control tower, and they've understood what was happening when COVID was sent, or they've understood what's happening in this thing or this, that thing that's going on in the world. And more often than not, they're quite simply wrong. God's wisdom is not that you will understand everything, you will see how all of this is panning out. Yes, there are times when we should learn lessons from circumstances, and we should be asking God, what Lord are you saying to us? How are you teaching us through this? But to think that wisdom is that being invited up into the control tower is just wrong. Rather, this was Packer's second illustration, the wisdom that God offers and promises is much more that the wisdom that is being used not by the person in the control tower, but by the driver of a car. The driver of the car doesn't need to know why the bend happens in the road at that point, why a that kind of bridge was built or this kind of bridge was built. The driver of the car doesn't need to know um, why a particular surface was, was laid and when it was last laid. No, no what, the, what the driver needs to know is about how to control the car, wise judgments about speed and appropriateness of reactions to certain things. And he has soundness of judgment. That is, it's not an overview of everything. 
but knowing what is the right way to respond, the right way to behave in a given set of circumstances, to maintain control, to maintain safety, to get somewhere that we are heading to. That is what Proverbs means by wisdom. And just as the good driver doesn't become a good driver by memorizing the highway code, but by adding that to that knowledge, different kinds of different attributes, so the wisdom, as we're saying from Proverbs, is not simply an intellectual understanding, isn't simply one kind of thing, but as a bringing together of a variety of, of attributes. And it's something, the writer says in verses 5 to 6, that we need to pursue, that we need to go after. The central message of the whole book of Proverbs is that we should pursue wisdom. So, in chapter 4 at verses 1 and 2, he says, listen, pay attention, gain understanding, do not forsake my teaching. That is, go for it. And just as you would want the driver of the car to have the attributes that we've mentioned, so that we should be keen that we and those we travel with through life have the kind of godly wisdom for living. It makes the journey safer. It makes the journey more enjoyable, less traumatic, less harmful. Even if, just like safe driving, it doesn't give 100% guarantees. No matter how safe you are as a driver, how wise and how good is your judgment, there are times when because of the circumstances or because of the behavior of others, bad things happen. And in the same way, the Proverbs are not saying, here is wisdom, and if you follow this wisdom, everything will turn out fine for you. The, the, the promises, well, they're not specific promises. The, the, the words of the, the Proverbs are, are much more general. It's a bit like we might say um, <clears throat> that um, there's a connection, we know, um, between smoking cigarettes and lung cancer. Now, that is not to say that everyone who smokes will get lung cancer before everyone who doesn't smoke. Sometimes it doesn't work like that. But in general, we know that if you want healthy lungs, don't smoke cigarettes. Now, the, the words of the Proverbs are like that. They're, they're stating general principles rather than specific promises. So, there's not particular promises. You should do this and see to that, and this is what's going to happen. But it's saying, here is the right way to go. Here is the, the wise route to take. And it comes down to the choices that we make and the decisions that we take. How are we going to choose and how are we going to decide? Well, the writer to the Proverbs is saying, the Lord has spoken and we should listen. The Lord has set out a path and we need to make sure that what is influencing our choice and our decisions is the wisdom that comes from following God. And so it comes from him, verse 7, it's God-centered. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of the knowledge. Wisdom is not found through self-affirmation or self-discovery, but through the realization that it is God-given, life is God-given, and life is best lived when it's God-centered. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, verse 7 of chapter 1 is echoed um, later on in chapter 9 at verse 10 by the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And we'll look at that chapter in, in two weeks' time and, and come back to these words. But in um, verse 
7 of chapter 1, the point is being made, and it will be repeated time and again in Proverbs, that wisdom is a life lived in active relationship with God, listening, following, repenting, trusting, giving Him His place. That, that's what is meant by fearing, the fear of the Lord. It's not that we are to be scared of Him in the way that we might be scared of a bully or, or scared of a, of a storm that we're caught up in. The bully and the storm can only harm us, not help us. But God is not like that. He's not interested in harming us. He wants us to be changed and transformed for the better. And so when it tells us that it is saying that there is nothing outside of us, nothing that beyond us that gives us life and gives meaning and so on, the Proverbs is pointing us to God. The Bible affirms that it's entrusting and following Him that it's the first step of wisdom. And notice verse 7 that it says, the Lord, the fear of the Lord. And the word used is the word that was used for God as a Savior, God who had delivered the people, God who in steadfast love had promised Himself to the people. You're fearing, he says, one who is on your side. And so, these first seven verses that introduce the book of Proverbs, a book that is going to be largely a series of collections of, of sayings, of general principles about right living in God's world. So the introduction here begins by pointing us outward and, and upward. They locate God's message in the history of the kingdom of Israel, verse 1, which is a salvation story. And the verses end, verse 7, with that call to show reverence to God, the Savior God, who has made promises of salvation that have stretched way beyond the time of Solomon, peaked in the coming of Jesus, and still point us forward looking for Jesus' return. If, as the Bible claims, there really and truly is only one God who is over all, then it is He alone who should be the object of true fear. We need not live in fear of anyone or anything else, for they are subservient to the Lord. The Lord will be our sufficiency. Now, in today's Western world, although more so before the current pandemic came, before that pandemic, we were living lives that were hugely safer, much healthier, much wealthier, and more free from risk than at any time before. And yet still, we were consumed by fears and anxieties and neuroses. The economy depended on our being, to some extent, discontent. Otherwise, we would not buy the services or the products or the experiences that others were trying to sell us in order to make themselves more wealthy. And so we were pressured to follow trends and fads which held out promises that material things can never fulfill. Buy this and you'll be fine. Buy this and, and it will be really good. Buy this, you'll be happy. Buy this, you'll be a real man. And buy that, you'll be a real woman and, and so on. Things cannot do that. They cannot give that kind of meaning, that kind of significance. They're part of what we have created 
They're not part of the life given to us. Others have invested in creation itself, the power to satisfy our deepest needs and longings. And while today that's not expressed in rain dances or offerings to animals for crops or to the gods of the rain and the soil and fertility and so on, the idea that some kind of awe moment, some kind of grandeur unlocks the key to life. But again, it's just part of the creation, the same creation that gives us hurricanes and earthquakes and so on. Now, the challenge of these verses and of Proverbs as a whole is to say that when it comes down to daily living, when it comes down to day-to-day things, when it comes down to having meaning and wisdom and being able to make the right choices and the right decisions, when it comes down to having healthy relationships with family, with neighbors, with friends, with communities, and so on, then it's a, a life that is shaped around what God wants, when making decisions about how to invest our time, our energy, our money. There should be an extent in which the fear of the Lord, that is a healthy reverence for God, should influence how we make these decisions. For surely, if there is a Creator God, who is also the God who has stepped in to bring salvation in His broken and hurting world, And if he alone is God, then having that God in our basic decision-making and having him as where we place our hopes and loyalty surely makes the best sense. We're not necessarily going to be up in the control tower and seeing everything. But with Christ with us, this Holy Spirit in us, with the Word of God directing, with the the fear of the Lord being something that we take into account. We're given the wisdom for driving through life with sound judgment, with appropriate responses. That is basically what wisdom is, says Proverbs. That basically is what Proverbs is telling us. Not just, here's a few handy hints, here's a few good ideas. But there's a Lord to give His place. And when you give Him His place, here is a God-shaped life and living in which we find our deepest meaning and deepest satisfactions. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for people like Solomon who over the years have shown wisdom and have helped us, guided us. We thank you for folks who have shown a care and a concern for you, for your world, for life in your world, and who have shown us and helped us and guided us. We confess that too often we have not taking you into account when making the big decisions of life and the small decisions of daily life. But everything is yours. In everything, we are responsible to you. In everything, Lord, we have opportunities. So help us to live well and live wisely with what you've given. 
And as we are stepping out of what is near the beginning of a new year, might we know that we go in your presence with the fear of the Lord shaping and, and directing and enriching our lives for your glory. Amen. Amen.